And as we get started, uh, there's a question that we want to ask you guys. Are people defined by their past? Are people defined by their past? You know, the initial response that we want and that we believe is no. We think, no, it's not about the past. That's just your old life. It doesn't matter anymore, especially in relationships, right? It's like not about the past. It's about the forward. But what, what I want to project to you today is if we're not defined by our past, would you say that we're defined by our experiences? Should be more open to that idea. Are you defined by your experiences? It's kind of like a little more wavering question. Well, like, yeah, kind of. But is there really a difference between your past and your experiences? Today's message is called My Zombie Past. My Zombie Past. Perfectly fitting for October, the evil month of the year, <laughs> which also happens to be Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. I believe that we, who we are today, specifically because of our past, our worldview, our perspective, and even our desires are sculpted by our experiences. How we view those experiences is what we, and what we do with them is what makes up our being today, who we are today. The past is dead in a way. But it can either be a walking zombie that's ready to bite you when you least expect it and infect you with death. Or it can be a tombstone that reminds you of what once was and is useful to be a point of reflection, emotion, and learning. My zombie passed. And the first thing we got to do is really look at the idea of your past being something that follows you. Anyone here watch The Walking Dead? Any, any zombie film ever in the world you ever watch? When does a zombie bite you? When you least expect it, right? What's weird is that it follows you around and you don't even really know that it's there. And that's why I really feel like our past is like that. It's something that is dead, but somehow is walking around following you everywhere you go. We're all tied to some sort of past. I want us to look at the story of David just for me to prove in Scripture that we're defined by our past in a way. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 to 36. And this is about the story of David, the second king of Israel, the kid that killed Goliath. And this is right before he goes to fight Goliath. And David says, don't worry about the Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Isn't that funny that even in this subtle context of why David can't do it, he looks at his past, says, this guy has a past that's better than yours. Your past, you're just a kid. You can't do it. See, even in this short context, David is being told he can't do something because of his past. But David persisted. 
I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. He has defied the armies of the living God. So at this point, we realize that David's like kind of a psychopath, right? <laughs> He's out there. I mean, if I, got, I don't know what it's like being a shepherd or being in charge of like animals besides my dog. But I love my dog, you know. I like my dog. And I think it would be kind of difficult for me to imagine a lion coming and getting my dog and me chasing after the lion, like ready to club it with a stick. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. And so David has such audacity in him that he's willing to, to look past who he is and, and is just willing to do something that needs to be done. He sees a need and he acts on it. But the point that I wanted to make here about dead or alive is that David's past, even though it was dead, it's in the past, it's still alive today. Because what he decides he's able to do, he compares it to things that he's already done. Think about what is a resume? It's a description of your past. Things that you've done. I mean, even when you're dating somebody, we all know, like, oh, it doesn't matter who you've been with, but, like, who have you been with? <laughs> See, we, it's almost like we idealize the past kind of like we think of death. We know that everybody's going to die one day. But we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. We can graze over in conversation, but we're not going to go in depth and critically think about it. But isn't that a lot like our past? Everyone's got one. And we know it's there, but we just don't like to talk about it. We act like it's just dead and buried, even though it always follows us around. Let me give a little further example. Let's talk about our zombie walk. The zombie walk. I think we can agree that our past is something that follows us. Let's talk more in depth about this zombie walk. Let's con- we just looked at David give a description of who he was. That he's just a, a shepherd boy, but he's willing to do the gritty stuff. Doing what it's willing to take. And that's what qualifies him to kill the Goliath. But later in the story, when you, when you read about David, there's a point where he's on the run from the king of Israel, Saul. And there's a bunch of, uh, the Bible describes it, them as nobodies. People that no one else cared about were people that were willing to follow David and join his small militia. And there's a point where he was, him and his army were hiding out in Philistine country. And they went, they left their town to go see if they were going to be able to fight in a battle. And the Philistines said, heck no, we don't trust you. And when they got back, they found that all, their whole town was raided. And all of their loved ones, all of their family, all of their wives and children were taken off away as plunder, as slaves by, by uh, the, the neighboring uh, pillagers. It says that three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, 
they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev of and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could no, weep no more. David, David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. I want us to just take a moment to ponder what this situation was like. So all of the people that David was leading turned against him. We're ready to to look at him and say, this is all your fault. If we were never to come out here, this would have never happened. It is all on you. I mean, to the point where they were willing to kill him. I mean, think about David. Anyone ever here have a responsibility before and you doubted your abilities to fulfill that responsibility? Parents feel that all the time. Like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? <laughs> You've been at a job before and... All of a sudden you get told to do something like, what did he just call me? (laughs) What did he tell me to do? And you start doubting your abilities. Think about David for a second, what it was like to doubt his abilities, to doubt his leadership. I can only imagine that the very things that he thought before that were the reason he was able to defeat Goliath are going on in his head, but in a different way. Now it's, Man, what am I doing? I just killed a bunch of bears and lions. How am I supposed to lead these people? I mean, I could kill somebody, but I don't know how to lead anybody. I'm just a shepherd boy. I'm a nobody. How am I, how am I supposed to come back from this? The very things that encouraged him one day were the very things that gave him doubts another day. Isn't that what our past is like? One moment you can be like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I overcame that. I'm not who my parents said I was. I'm stronger. And all of a sudden, another day, you're like, man, I'm just a loser like my parents said. Man, who am I to think that I could ever come up out of that? My family's always been poor. How am I supposed to expect to get out of poverty? The very things that you thought you were overcoming are are the very things that end up biting you later on. So your past follows you. It's just waiting to bite down. Have you ever seen a zombie scene? It's traumatic. Tearing people apart. That's what it's like on the inside. It comes and it just tears you apart on the inside. And it gets you when you least expect it. You know, let's look at another person in the Bible that has a traumatic past that follows him. It's the story of Joseph. And I want us to go back to Genesis Chapter 42, starting in verse 6. And for those of y'all who don't know, Joseph, he was a brother out of a lot of brothers. And he was uh, the uh, second youngest at the time, and he was the favorite. All of his brothers hated him. Joseph started having dreams about uh, people needing him one day. 
started having visions of being important. His brothers hated him even more to the point to where they were ready to kill him, but instead sold him into slavery uh, to some Ishmaelites who later sold him to uh, uh, sold him in Egypt. And at this point of the story, Joseph went from a slave to a prison cell, and now he's in charge of the entire palace. And Pharaoh put everything into his charge. He's literally at a point where his past is gone. He doesn't have to think about things that have happened to him anymore because he's finally arrived. His dreams are fulfilled. He's who he needs to be. And he doesn't have to think about his family that left him for dead, his family that deserted him anymore. Finally thinks that his past is dead and buried. But then it says in this story, since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him and their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. You ever see someone that you don't expect to see and as soon as you see them, you know exactly who they are and all of the emotions come back to you in an instant? Maybe it's someone that was so controlling over your life. Maybe it's someone that abused you at some point. And even when you think their name, you instantly get a jolt in your heart. Says that Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger, spoke harshly to them. It's easy to pretend, right? It's perfectly fitting for October for us to wear masks because the truth is we wear masks every day at work, in front of our family, act like everything's okay. Spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams that he had about them many years before. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. And in this part of the story, he has all of them imprisoned. (laughs) He has all of them imprisoned and he waits to figure out what he's going to do with them. He, He eventually lets them go back to their homeland, but he wants to make sure his little brother is okay because he thought that they were going to kill him too. And so he ends up keeping one of his brothers in prison cell and says, you can get him back when you bring back your youngest brother. This point of the story, I want us to point out the moment that he remembered all those emotions, the moment that he remembered everything they did to him. He's ready to put them in the same kind of prison that they put him in. I, I, I feel like we graze over this story and think that Joseph is just super intellectual and he had it all planned out from the beginning. But remember, he was not expecting his brothers to show up. I believe that these parts that we're reading are his emotional reactions. I mean, imagine if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like other people controlled you so much and you had no control, but you were just dictated by the emotions of how they felt that day. The moment that you have any breakaway, you don't want to give them any strength back. It's like you just want to run away as fast as you can and act like they're never going to find you again. And here, the moment that Joseph finally gets a point where he's the one in control, I need to lock them away as fast as I can. 
And I can only imagine the, the, the surface level, level gratification that came from being able to put them away like they put him away. Feeling like you'd be able to finally get back at him. But then he realizes that there's something more important to him than getting back at his brothers. And that's being reunited with the one family member he felt like he had left. It said that it goes in the story that he lets him out, keeps one brother as collateral, and tells him to just bring, bring your little brother back so I know that you're telling the truth. And the story goes on to say that they brought Benjamin back and it says at the moment that they came back and he finally got to see his brother Benjamin in chapter 43, verse 29, it says, Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about, Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went to, into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, kicking, keeping himself under control, and then he ordered to bring out the food. Man, this story, this part of the story, I feel like we've all been through at some point. You're so torn up inside that you have to just leave the room for a second. Gather yourself, act like you're okay, and then come out and say, all right, let's eat, let's have a good time. Let's put on a show and act like everything's okay. Doesn't that sound like church? Anyone have a huge fight with somebody right before coming into church? And then you just walk up like, hey, God bless you. Good to see you. It's so awesome to see you. God bless. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Man, we've all put on a show before. And here, Joseph puts on the show and acts like he doesn't have all this emotion built up inside of him. You ever been to a place and been on the verge of crying? Been on the verge of punching your steering wheel? <laughs> been on the verge of just hitting anybody that, that does something wrong to you? Because you're so on the edge of emotion, but you just pretend for a moment that everything's fine and normal. It's like a zombie bites you and affects you. And at first you may feel like, no, I can handle this. But all of a sudden, the T-virus starts going through your veins. All of a sudden you're getting a weird itch. Start desiring to let out a little of that anger. You want some flesh too. You want to start bite down on somebody because you have so much pain on the inside. And you're ready to just let that that frustration, that raw emotion to come out and bite somebody else. Let's talk about late to rest. Said at the beginning that your past could be either a zombie that follows you around or it could be a tombstone. That's a point of remembrance, a point of reflection, a point where it's okay to feel emotion. That emotion doesn't control you. You're able to just be able to lay it to rest. See, your past is never truly dead. Your past is never truly dead. I feel like even when we think of dead, it, it, it makes us feel like it's final. 
As if death doesn't still bring back in memory to us. Anyone here ever have a dog that died? And you still think about that dog? That's just an animal. And it still connects some emotion to you. A turtle maybe? A person? Is that not an emotional thing to talk about? It's not something that's deep. And yet when we think of our past being dead, it's like, oh, it's dead as in it just doesn't exist anymore. But that's not what death is. That's not what death is at all. Even the people that we read about in the Bible are dead in this world. Yet somehow their story lives every day as people read about them and talk about them. So why is it that we think that our past can be just obliterated, dead, never to be talked about again? No matter what your past is, there's parts of your past that bring agony, even when you lay it to rest. There's a level where it's just a zombie that's constantly seeking you out, trying to get you. Then there's a level where you can able to lay it to rest. And it's a tombstone as a reminder in your life, in your heart, in your mind of things that have happened, things that have been done. But it's what you do with that agony that truly defines you. Maybe it's not our past that defines us, but the agony that's attributed to the past What we do with it defines us. I think about a story that I've shared before of two brothers, twin brothers. One brother was at a bar drinking his lights out. Shot after shot just by himself. The bartender asked, hey man, how come you drink so much? He said, because my father drank. Time goes on, he passes out and his twin brother comes to pick him up. Sober as a bird. And bartender's looking at him and he asks, Hey man, do you drink? He says, No, I don't drink. He says, Why not? Because my father drank. Both experienced agony. But what they did with that agony is what defined them. And going back to the story of Joseph, in chapter 45, it says that Joseph could stand it no longer. They there were many people in the room and he said to his attendants out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers and we told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried, carried all the way to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph. He said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And let, I want to just stop for a second. Isn't this a moment for his brothers? That their zombie past and the things that they did came and bit them when they least expected it? Imagine the fear that came into their hearts. And they realized the person that they left for dead is now has control to give them life or death. 
The zombie pass came and bit his brothers. And it says, And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Man, what a turnaround in Joseph. The beginning when he first saw his brothers, all of that bitterness. You ever think that you forgive someone, but then you get angry again? (laughs) One day you're like, you know what? That's the past. It's not even a big deal, man. (laughs) Another day you're like, you know what? I don't, I remember what you did. And you know, that's not all right. I've been thinking about it some more. Here, Joseph, I mean, I, I can only imagine the kind of emotion he felt. It says that he wept so loudly that everybody in the palace could hear it. Man, I just, I just think of how much brokenness he had in his heart. How much, how much hurt did he have that he just kept acting in front of all the Egyptians like he was just had it all together. I mean, when you're a leader, when you're responsible for things, don't you act like you have it all together? That's why so many of us, we, all of a sudden we grow up one day and we realize our parents don't have it all together. It's like, wait a minute. I think y'all might have more issues than me. How are you supposed to parent me if you're so messed up? Don't we think that as teenagers around 16 or so? It says, I could only imagine how how much weight Joseph was carrying around trying to act like he was just super smart, that he, he didn't have to deal with emotions like other people. People didn't even know who he was, and he just acted like he was just a regular human being that just made it one day. He has so much weight that he was carrying year after year after year of all this built-up emotion that he never dealt with. That he never got to get closure on. And now there's a moment where he has to decide you're going to either have an outburst, do something crazy, or you're going to have closure right now. You're going to either have your seemingly retribution moment, your revenge, or you're going to have forgiveness. In this moment, I could only imagine the reason that he was crying out. I mean, screaming at the top of his lungs to where everybody else could hear him was because at that moment, he was deciding to forgive. And it was so brutal and so agonizing in his heart as a thought of forgiving his brothers. I could only think about how many minutes were going by his brothers not knowing what was going to happen. And Joseph is deciding... Because he knows that it's what he needs to do, but it's not what he wants to do. And he, he has a moment to allow this zombie pass to be shot in the head or to lay it to rest. And it's a moment where he, he says, don't worry about it. Don't even be upset with yourselves. I forgive you. It's, I look at God for my... For my life, not to you anymore. You don't control me. My life is in God's hands. I can only imagine how hard it was for him to get to that point. 
all those tears right in front of the people that he could just kill on the spot. You know, what we do with our agony today is what defines us. It's rare that you get moments where you make decisions that are pivotal, monumental decisions in your life. But I believe that today, for a lot of us, it's a decision of forgiveness. It's a decision to acknowledge our past and decide what to do with it. And the story goes on as brothers and his family moved in with him, moved to Egypt, Zal, water under the bridge. And then their father dies years later and his brothers start to get scared again. Start thinking, man, now that our dad's dead, he's going to probably get back at us. He's probably just didn't want to upset dad, but now he's going to really, he's been just waiting all these years. He didn't really forgive us. He's just smart. He's ready to wait for the right moment to make it hurt for us. And it says in chapter 50 that, so they sent the me- this message to Joseph. They lied and said, before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. For their sin is treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received this message, he broke down and wept. I believe that he broke down and wept because no matter how, how much we like to idealize that we'll never have to revisit our past again, even when you lay it to rest, there's going to be a moment where you think that you had healing in your heart. You think that you already settled all that at the cross. You never have to really think about it again. It's just you already dealt with it. But the truth is the past doesn't just go away forever. It's like a tombstone. And even when you go to visit that tombstone, it brings about emotion. It brings about reflection. And every time Joseph's past was brought up, it says how he broke down and wept. So many of us are trying to just forget it. Act like it never happened. And even... Some of us try to think and imagine that you just have to deal with it and then you never have to deal with it again. It's not true either. Something that hurts, you can be healed from it, but you'll probably need to be healed from it again one day. And I want us all to to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I believe that God wants to do it a serious work in your hearts today. And the first thing that that I want us to pray for is forgiveness. There's somebody in your past, there's somebody in your life that you know you need to deal that forgiveness out to. You've been trying to ignore it. You've been trying to act like it's not there. And I'm not even saying that this is the last time you have to forgive that person. There might be a moment where you remember and that agony has to be dealt with again. But maybe right now is a moment for you 
to make a, mo- a decision like Joseph did. A decision that is, may overcome you with emotion just to think about it. Just to release them from the justice or revenge that you want them to feel. And just with every eye closed and head bowed, if, if you want to go through that kind of forgiveness, I want you to just raise your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. Right in your head, in your mind, in your heart. I want you to pray. Say, God, this pain is real. How I feel is real. And there's been so many times where I don't know what to do with this. But right now, I have this person in mind. This person has been following me in my heart and in my mind. Just like a zombie. Waiting to bite me. Waiting to hurt me. But I want to lay them to rest. And I choose right now as difficult as it is to forgive them. I release them and I choose to forgive right now in the name of Jesus. I want to forgive them because you have forgiven me. And if you're here maybe the past has been something that has been a wedge between you and God. Maybe right now you need to make a decision for you to experience the simple forgiveness of God. Maybe you need to experience that sweet surrender to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you know that you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, If that's you here, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. And so I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Whether you raise your hand or whether you've already given your life to Christ, I want it to be a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. I want to look to you to be sovereign over my life. I'm not controlled by others. I have free will. But I want to make you the Lord of my life. And the Savior to my soul. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. That you died for me on the cross. And that you paid the price for me. Forgive me of my past. Forgive me of my sins. And help me to forgive others as well. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen.